Welcome to Antelope Road Christian Fellowship. We're glad you're joining us for today's message. For service times or to join a disciple group, please visit myarcf.com. All right, now we're going to do our teaching time. If you are new, we've been in a series called Hope 2020, where we've been tackling week by week different things in our world this year that zap hope, that crush hope. And today is the ninth and final installment uh, of that series. Today we're talking about hope in the midst of meaninglessness. A little bit of a departure from what we've been talking about the last eight weeks. Meaninglessness, not knowing what is the purpose of my existence, why am I here on earth? This is something that can plague us at any time, any month, any year, and yet... I wonder how much sitting at home, some of us without jobs, some of us suffering from alcoholism, some of us suffering from depression, how much right now are the pressures of this world pushing in on me, pushing in on my mind, on my heart, forcing me to kind of go, man, is there, is there, why am I even here? Does my life mean anything? And and I guess when I say that 2020 might be pressing in on and forcing that question is sometimes, in fact, I think a lot of times, we find meaning in things that don't actually last forever. Some of us really find our identity and purpose in our job so that when we get fired, we have a total crisis of identity. And I don't know why I'm on planet Earth anymore. Or maybe it's my hobby, it's my passion project, I'm a weekend warrior for this thing, and that falls apart for whatever reason, and I have a crisis, I don't know what my meaning is any longer. And so if we have to live through all this awfulness that is 2020, perhaps, just perhaps, some of it is the mercy of God showing us that we need to find meaning and our value as human beings in something that cannot be taken away. Yeah, Jeremy's with me. He knows I'm preaching. That's a bit of a joke. He's the only one in the room with me right now. So let's talk. Note takers, here's my first point. In the midst of meaninglessness, the only way to find hope is to find meaning. Nothing else fills that gap in the human heart. All right? If your stomach is hungry for food, are there cheap knockoffs? that might fool your stomach for a bit? Absolutely. Everybody knows you can drink a glass of water and your your stomach will be fooled for a little bit, but not for long. You need food, right? The human soul desires meaning so much that although academia had wholeheartedly agreed with everything Darwin had ever said by the 1890s, by the turn of the 20th century, We see the last 120 years, 130 years, we still see everybody in philosophy, the arts, of course religion, pop culture, desperately yearning for there to be a meaning to their existence. Why do human beings do this? Well, let's allow a number of different voices from the last 200 years to speak into things. I'm not going to... introduce any of these people. I'll tell you who they are, but I'm not going to introduce them if you know who they are. Fine. If you don't, you don't. Rick Warren said this, without a purpose, life is motion without meaning, activity without direction, and events without reason. Stephen Hawking said this, work gives you meaning and purpose, 
and life is empty without it. Hmm. Quite a different perspective, right? C.S. Lewis said this, if the whole universe has no meaning, we should have never found out that it has no meaning. Just as if there were no light in the universe and there were no creatures with eyes, we should never know it was dark. Dark would be without meaning. Jean-Paul Sartre, no finite point has meaning without an infinite point of reference. Friedrich Nietzsche, human life is inexplicable and still without meaning. A fool may decide its fate. Albert Einstein, it would be possible to describe everything scientifically, but it would make no sense. It would be without meaning, as if you described a Beethoven symphony as a variation of wave pressure. So there are a lot of different perspectives. I'm standing here inside a building owned and run by a Christian church with crosses behind me, so you know that my chips are all in on Jesus. There's no hiding where I stand in my thoughts between me and Lewis and Hawking and Nietzsche and Sartre. You know where I stand. You know where I'm going with this, probably. But let's just start with this. If the human heart is demanding meaning, we need to start by asking ourselves why. What, and it could, I can't say that it's cultural. In the Middle East, cultures demand meaning. In the Far East, cultures demand meaning. 400 years ago, they were demanding meaning. 6,000 years ago, they were demanding meaning. Across all culture, gender, every, every group of human beings, even when it's silly, even when a volcano is erupting, somebody will say, the gods must be angry. That is human beings looking for meaning in their environment, whether we agree or disagree with their, that person's interpretation. So in the midst of meaningless, the only way to find hope is to find that meaning. There, there's nothing else that'll fill that hole. Second, for the note takers, you cannot talk about meaning without talking about truth. And truth needs a point of reference. You cannot talk about meaning without talking about truth. And truth needs a point of reference. Allow me to illustrate. How many of you have temporarily been very freaked out because you were stopped at a red light, you looked down at your phone, you weren't supposed to, but all of a sudden, out of your peripheral vision on the left-hand side, the car next to you is moving. And for a millisecond, you don't know if, did I take my foot off the brake? Am I rolling a little bit? Are they rolling? Is it my time to go? Wait, if I'm going in the straight lane and they're in the left turn lane, I still probably shouldn't be going. You have to look up and very quickly you have to figure out, you have to find something that is not moving or that's not supposed to be moving. Because you need a referee between you and the car next to you. If you could lean far enough to your window, you could maybe look and see the lines painted in the street. If they are not moving, now you have a fixed point of reference to go, am I moving? Is the car next to me moving? You look for a tree that's not moving to go, am I moving? You look for the, the light fixture itself because the red light doesn't mean anything. Maybe it's my red light. Maybe he has a green light to turn left. I'm looking for something fixed. 
Now imagine living in a world, a real world, where every one of us was trying to drive, but when we looked up, the trees were moving. And the lights and the lampposts were moving, and the business over here was moving. And all the cars were moving, but in different directions, not necessarily forward, some of them up, some of them down, some twisting in place. How do you know what to do if everything is moving? Right? I want to submit to you that the pluralism that is so popular in Western culture right now, what's right for you is fine, what's right for me is fine, this does not allow me to know what ought I do with my life. Ravi Zacharias once said, science can only tell you what happened. It can never tell you what you ought to do. How do I know what I ought to do? What should I do if everything is moving, if there is no fixed point of reference? You cannot stop, you cannot talk about meaning without talking about truth, right? If I say this has meaning or that has meaning, I am immediately making a truth claim, right? I say this is really deep, this is really important. There's gonna be somebody that immediately gets upset and disagrees because I made a truth claim. You can't even make a truth claim about a fictional book without people getting upset. Look at the way people respond to the last three Star Wars movies. I say this has meaning. I say that has meaning. This, I say it has no meaning. Any of those is truth statements. And now someone's going to agree, someone's going to disagree because I made a truth claim. If I'm going to make truth claims, I need to have a point of reference. Something has to be fixed. Something. For thousands of years, Human beings have used the North Star to sail across oceans. It was the one thing that wasn't going to move. There was a point of reference. There was something that was fixed. Third point. Most of America is stuck looking for meaning in a few tired places. Most Americans are stuck looking for meaning in a few tired places. I'm going to submit three of them to you that seem on their surface like good things, but they actually become terrible because we misuse them or abuse them, right? Sometimes when we use a junk drawer term like substance abuse, wine is not evil. Can you take it too far and end up killing somebody? Absolutely, you can, right? So let's talk about some things that are not bad in and of themselves, but can be abused. I believe they are being abused by us right now. First, endless entertainment. Endless entertainment. Uh, In the last six or seven years, um, no, actually, I think first iPhone was invented in, no, it was 2009, 2010. So we've gone a decade now where our youngest children don't even know a world of not having the internet in their pocket. We, we stare at screens constantly, so fast, so easy. One or two taps and I can entertain myself, be watching a funny video, watching a sitcom, watching a movie, what have you, scrolling through my Facebook feed. It's so readily accessible. It's so right now that my brain never has to stop and look and be aware of its surroundings. My brain 
runs from boredom as if boredom will kill me. And what is sacrificed in that is there's no silence and there's no rest. I was listening to a podcast two weeks ago where a guy kind of took the historical perspective and he said, until the invention of the automobile, the pace of life on planet Earth was three miles per hour. And I thought about that and I found myself actually coveting that world a little bit. A lot of people before the, you know, a short period really in the 18th, 19th century, really only the wealthy had horses. Most of humanity only ever got on a horse because of war or maybe as a work animal. The pace of life was three miles per hour. You had a conversation with a real human being as you walked down the road going into the next town that might be six hour walk. And then you go to wherever you're going next and then you go to wherever you're going next. There was margin for the human brain to think and to process the events that we're living through. And right now, guys, we're going through chronic crisis after chronic crisis. Racial strife, can't leave my house, can't even go into the grocery store without being reminded that we're apparently in an apocalypse. No idea how I'm supposed to get my child through schooling here at the dining room table when I'm supposed to be at work. Like All of these things, let alone just being afraid for your health, and I will not take the time to process any of what I'm experiencing because I will pull out the phone to make me happy again. These things don't make me happy. And I go from not happy to, to happy. Divert me. Grab my attention, please. Divert me. And in that, there is no calm. There is no silence. There is no, to use a biblical term, Sabbath. I look for meaning. I look for something profound in the hedonism of entertaining myself. Even if I, it's just eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die. That's still a type of meaning. If I declare that now is all there is, that's a, a truth statement about meaning. A second place that we in America are looking for meaning and it's tired and it, we need to let go of it is busyness. Instead of creativity operating out of the nature of our God who made us, a creative God, we, instead of building things and stewarding things and making things better uh, wherever we go, productivity can be dragged through the mud where I just find my identity and how much money I've earned or find my identity. You know, how many times have you said or have you heard somebody say, hey, how are you doing? And I said, oh, staying busy. Did you realize that you just dodged the question? Staying busy is an answer to the question, what are you doing? How are you? How are you? How's your soul? How's your personhood? How's your mental health? How are your relationships? All sidestepped. Staying busy. And my concern is that in this, some of us are finding identity in what I can produce, what I can achieve. This is a reason men in particular really, really struggle when we're laid off. Busyness is not a good place to find identity because the minute we're not busy, we don't know who we are. 
And what did my life matter? Did my work matter? The company just let me go. I thought loyalty meant something. And it's over. Or, and this is a really hard one, especially when we get closer to Christmas here watching our Hallmark specials. Relationships. Relationships. You'd sound like the biggest jerk in the whole world to get lovingly, I think lovingly, in somebody's face and saying, your romantic relationship is, is ultimately abusive because you're treating the other person as if they're ultimate in the cosmos. Or maybe the feeling that they give you, you're treating it as if it's ultimate in the cosmos. And then that person dies. Or that person betrays you. Or I find my relationship in, with my child is something that gives me identity. And then a psychologist rightly comes along and says, oh, hon, you're codependent. <laughs> um, you should not be needing the two-year-old. The two-year-old should be needing you. It should be monodirectional. Or desperately needing a friendship. You know, needing a friendship, needing these relationships is not bad. I don't, I don't want you to hear me say that. But I am talking about taking a good thing and making it a God thing. Taking something that is a, a blessing from God and elevating it and replacing it. This, I'm going to find my ultimate sense of identity in who my friends are, what coworkers respect me, the level of income that I have, or hedonism, what, what party I've been to most recently and how off the hook it was. Some of these, I'm going to call them from a biblical perspective, false gods, false deities. I do not believe they are serving us well. And I just want to submit that to you for your consideration. I know that somebody watching today is kicking the tires of the Christian faith. And I'm not here right now. It's not my job to bash American culture. But where American culture is offering us a counterfeit, I want to love you enough to tell you. So I want to ask you to consider, are some of these things counterfeits? Are they promising to give you a sense of fulfillment that they can't actually do? Can they tell you who you are? They can tell you what you're doing. Can they tell you who you are? Because in the midst of meaninglessness, the only hope is to actually find meaning. So we need to navigate these three things and other things. If they're not actually supplying meaning, I shouldn't keep running like a gerbil in a wheel. I need to move on to something else. I need to try something else because nothing is going to fill that hole in my heart until I find meaning. Fourth, and here's where you knew I was going the whole time. One of Jesus' disciples who actually walked with him on earth for almost four years, learned from him and wrote down many of his words, miracles, actions, an account of his death, an account of his resurrection. Wrote down in John fourteen six that Jesus said this to those around him. Mind-bending. Are you ready? I am the way, the truth, and the life. The rest of the statement mostly makes sense to a Jewish crowd, so I'm not even going to go there right now. Let's just stop at this. A human being, at least that's the way the world talks about Jesus, is just a human said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Singular? Yeah. Exclusive? Oh, you bet. Jesus Christ, and it was recorded by somebody who actually knew him, 
Whether you think he was lying or not, you've got to figure it out on your own. Jesus Christ raised in hand and said, I am the point of reference when you don't know what to do, when you don't know whether to stop or to go or to turn left or to turn right. Look to me. I do not move. And a different part of scripture says Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Jesus claimed to be the ultimate and only point of reference for humanity, off of which to live our lives, to say, what ought we to do? Not just telling us what we did, not telling us you know, what the world looks like, the way that science can do. What ought we to do? That's an ethical question. How, what is a human being? What is the human existence supposed to amount to? What is, what is right behavior if there is right? What is wrong behavior if there is wrong? Jesus Christ claims to be the point of reference that answers all of these questions for humanity. And, and you by no means have to believe this. None of us have to believe it. No one's going on a jihad and showing up at your house and telling you you've got to think this way or believe that. But the church owes you a better answer than what the Discovery Channel has given you. And some of you watching right now, you've not been told what Jesus actually said about himself. He did not say he was a super popular professor and a cool philosopher on par with Plato and Socrates. He did not say that he was the leader of a movement like Gandhi or William Wilberforce or MLK Jr. He did not say any of those things about himself. But he did say he would be betrayed into the hands of the religious authorities, handed over to the Romans, crucified and killed. He said that before it happened. And he also, before it happened, said, and then I will be raised to life on the third day. You don't have to believe Jesus when he says that. You don't. But I do want to submit to you that a human life lived with a point of reference is way, way better than a life lived without one. Twisting in the wind, wondering why the trees are moving, why are the lights moving, and what on earth am I supposed to do? Life with a point of reference with a north star is simply a better life. It is more enjoyable. Some philosophers have said, <laughs> I don't remember which one it was, somebody in the 19th century said, I would believe Christianity just for all the benefits of believing it, even if in fact I cease to exist at the end of this life. I really wish I remembered who that was. It was pretty fascinating. Fifth, and this is what I'm already kind of preaching. You should want Christianity to be true. You should want it to be true. We spend a lot of our times up here in our heads thinking about and analyzing the facts, which by the way, I want you to do that. That's great. All of the earliest source material about Jesus, most of them say he was the Messiah, the son of the living God. You've got Josephus who wrote Antiquities. You've got a couple of people who were of a different faith who did not believe he was Messiah. Most of them did. I encourage you to study and to read 
But let's talk about desire. Desire in so many ways precedes and is a foundation to the way that I analyze the facts. And frankly, desire really uh, affects how I dig. If you are a wealthy person who's greedy and you want a little bit more gold, you'll go up into the Sierra Nevadas when they're not on fire and you'll dig for some gold. But you'll dig with only a certain amount of gusto because you're already wealthy and you're just greedy for a little bit more. But if you're on a desert island and there is no fresh water source and you have to dig down through the sand and through the dirt to get to fresh water or you'll die, that's a different type of digging. So this is why I want to speak to your heart about desire. You should want Christianity to be true. Here's why. If Christianity is true, I'm invited into something bigger than myself. If it's true, I am loved more than I know. If it's true, I have inerrant value as a person that no one can take away. If Christianity is true, my desire for justice in this world gets a foundation to it. If Christianity is true, I receive the option of willingly loving my creator if I want to. If it's true, my life can be invested in eternally enjoying the presence of God. If it's true, my life can be invested in eternal connection to people. If Christianity is true, I can successfully promote good because good is now clearly defined. If Christianity is true, I can successfully push back evil because evil has now been clearly defined. If Christianity is true, I can receive joy by inviting others into that relationship with their creator. And I can receive satisfaction from the knowledge that my actions have eternal consequences. Therefore, my legacy lasts forever. If Christianity is true, suffering in this life has meaning. Viktor Frankl said this, despair is suffering without meaning. Despair is suffering without meaning. So if Christ being the Messiah and calling us toward himself and sending us out with this newfound love to share with the world the love that we've found, if that gives us meaning even when the church faces persecution and faces all of the brokenness of this world, suffering itself receives meaning if Christianity is true. Gender differences now have beauty and meaning if Christianity is true. I don't have to just look at the Bible as some old archaic book, but as something amazingly and divinely inspired that lets us know all kinds of parts of humanity that are beautiful and God-given. It's the same reason that racism is an abomination, right? Because the Bible tells us that we are made in his image and we have the fingerprints of our creator all over us. Life has value. If Christianity is true, I don't have to look for ultimate meaning in things that won't last, like political leaders that'll die or lose an election, jobs that can come to an end, success, well, that can be hard to define. My health, well, it's eventually going to fail. Feelings, well, those change. Friendships, those can come and go. Happiness, well, that can disappear in an instant. If Christianity is true, I don't have to build my life on any of those things. So here's my question for you. What are you going to do with Jesus? He not only healed the sick, 
But in the midst of the crowd that he built, he revealed who he was. He said, I am God in the flesh and I have come to save you from the condemnation that your sin has brought onto yourself. I'm here to save you, not to condemn you. He's raised his hand and said, I am the focal point of all reality. Look to me and you will be able to make sense because you'll immediately know when you stare at Jesus what is moving and what isn't. He claims to be that focal point. What are you going to do with that claim? What are you going to do? Do something. Even doing nothing is making a choice. Do something with what Jesus has claimed. It's big, it's hairy, it's audacious. If he was a liar, he was the most arrogant human being who ever lived. And I defy you, dig, dig, and dig like one who can't find water any other way. Dig into the claims of Jesus and find out for yourself, is he actually the North Star that he said he was? I'm going to leave you with a quote from the late, great Ravi Zacharias. The older you are, the more it takes to fill your heart with wonder. And God is the only one big enough to fill your heart with wonder. Lord Jesus, I ask you to speak to us today through your Holy Spirit. By your power, take us on our next step of obedience toward you and toward love of others. In the great name of Jesus Christ, I ask for this. Amen.